Welcome to People Are Saying by the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we break down current events and help you to cut through the noise. Today's subject is China and the events of the 20th Party Congress, where Xi Jinping was elected to an unprecedented third term as president of China. What does that mean for China and their relationship with the world? And what happened to former Chinese President Hu Jintao at the conference? I'm Griff Somke, and with me is Jay McKenzie. Hi, folks. Thanks for checking out this week's edition of People Are Saying. A quick word before we get started here. This is going to be the last week we offered the People Are Saying article and podcast episode for free. Starting next week, the People Are Saying content is going to be for paid subscribers only. You can sign up for $5 a month or $50 for the entire year. Your financial support means that we can continue producing this content for you on a weekly basis, but paid subscribers will get these bonus articles and episodes as our way of saying thank you. If you decide to become a paid subscriber in the future, our entire archive of free and paid content will be available to you then. We are so thankful for everyone who has decided to support us already, and with your continued support, we can keep this newsletter and podcast going into the future. Now, on to today's content. On October 22nd, at the closing ceremony for the Chinese Communist Party's 20th Party Congress, the former president of the People's Republic of China, Hu Jintao, was forcibly removed from his seat at the front table. The episode occurred while Hu's successor, Xi Jinping, looked on indifferently from the next seat. Do you think there was a purge? It certainly seems like they want us to think there was a purge. I've seen a lot of theories put out there that it's related to Hu Jintao's age. He's, he's old. Maybe he's senile. Uh, maybe he's in ill health that we don't know about. Maybe there was a COVID test that came back positive. Maybe there's a reasonable, rational explanation and people are looking for it. And I think at least trying to rule that out. But it's one of those things where if they wanted to save face, if they didn't want to embarrass him, why would they do it there? Why would they do it now when thousands of people are in the audience, when it's the closing ceremony of the 20th Party Congress? If it's a COVID test, why is it only getting back after everyone has taken their seat? If there really is some sort of cognitive issue, why was he there in the first place? Did no one notice for several days beforehand when they were all together and talking and debating and all of these things? It, it certainly looks like Xi wanted the cameras to be on, wanted people to be watching, and he wanted to make a statement because... Xi does this, he has who forcibly removed and taken off the stage, and then there's Xi with an empty chair beside him. After the closing ceremony, the next day on Sunday, the Politburo's Supreme Standing Committee was announced. For that, it, there was some uncertainty, but this is the, the very top leadership in China. It is a seven-man committee, and it is all men this time. It consists of Xi and six Xi loyalists. So on Saturday, who is forcibly removed from the sage, and then on Sunday, all of Xi's loyalists are beside him, and any of whose protégés are removed and no longer uh, part of the standing committee. So it certainly seems like Xi was making a statement. It is really interesting to watch who being taken off the stage and, and just watching 
G's indifference. He seems to be mostly just not paying attention and, and not really even watching. He gives a bit of a smile and a nod here or there. There was some question about the documents that were in front of who he wanted to look at something or there was some questions about was he going to express some dissent towards Xi or his policies? Was he going to make some sort of statement that was unscripted? I don't know how likely that is, but it... Um, and it, and it would have been an embarrassment for Xi, and he certainly would not have wanted that to happen. But it also didn't really matter, doesn't really matter, because Xi's got his third term. He's got all of his people in place. Not really any room for dissent or for people demanding that he change anything or that he reform any of his policies. I know one of the big things going into the party congress was they were hoping that Xi would at least kind of ease off on some of the... COVID-19 lockdown restrictions, but he doubled down. Yeah. He's he's not interested in that. He doubled down on China's place in the world and that they need to be taken seriously. And that he, he didn't explicitly threaten Taiwan, but he said something to the effect of all of China's territories need to be restored to China's control. It's very obvious what he's talking about. And you... Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of wiggle room there. So at the, at the same time, you've got people in the U.S. like Secretary Blinken and members of the U.S. Navy saying, hey, uh, China might invade Taiwan this year. Maybe it's not this year. Maybe it'll be next year. Or I know some estimates put it sometime between now and 2027. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of debate that it will happen. Mostly, at least in the U.S., it's about when. Right. So it's sending a message. It definitely seems like he's sending a message saying this is not this is not that era. This is not who's China. We are being taken seriously now. It's a flex. It's a pretty big flex. And suddenly, uh, who is censored from Weibo and other uh, Chinese media? There's no official statement on what happened. I think the closest that we get is from Xinhua News, which essentially says who was not feeling well, but he was accompanied to the next room, to a meeting venue for rest. And now he is much better. Yeah. End of statement. Now he's fine. He's on a farm upstate running free. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. It does make you wonder what happens next. It, it's China. Where's Jack Ma? China is a very big country. And when they want you to go away, uh, you seem to go away. And if they decide you're not coming back, then you're not coming back and where you end up. Nobody really knows. <laughs> I guess you're on that farm, but... but <laughs> no, you can't visit. <laughs> nobody nobody has an address. They'll, they'll forward that uh, mail for you. Don't worry about it. Exactly. You, they're fine. They're doing great. They're really happy. I've read and have a greater understanding of Soviet history. And if you got sent to the gulag, your contact with the outside world was rather limited. But if you died and you were at the gulag and they didn't want your family to know, well, they would still send your mail, but they there would be no return and there would be no answer. And sometimes it would be because it never got to people or they didn't want to respond or they didn't want to reply. And a lot of times, at least early on in the purges, it was uh, they're in the gulag, which just means they got shot somewhere. So I'm, I'm not implying that that is what is happening here, but it is just that it, it doesn't really matter to Xi at this point. And anyone who cares about what happens to who can't really do anything about it so they don't have to follow through with anything uh, stalin had his his purges and his show trials but and and i think uh, if there is an analog to this for the soviets it would be stalin early on when he was consolidating power first he marginalized trotsky 
first sent him into exile in Kazakhstan, in the which was part of the Soviet right. Union, and later sent him in exile outside of Soviet Union. But then Stalin went after Zinoviev and Kamenev, who were his one-time allies, who, after Trotsky had been marginalized, it was their turn. In many ways, Xi's just done the same thing. And this was a flex, and no one can really do anything about it. But also, hey, if you get any thoughts about doing anything about it in the future, why don't you go play this tape? Exactly. So he's in charge now. It's all one guy over there now, right? There just isn't a whole lot of checks and balances, and not like there were a whole lot before, but... We're now at a point where one guy and his his leadership team making all the decisions. Yeah, it hasn't really been like this or this explicit in China since Mao. Um, wow. And Mao had a very tumultuous time in charge, but he was also the man in charge. Mao had absolute authority and control, and a lot of people died because uh, he had a lot of ideas that did not work out well, and the Chinese Communist Party survived it, although millions upon Mm -hmm. millions of people died. I think they realized that power in one unchecked hand is probably not the way to go in the future, and So at least up until this point, in theory, there has been this idea of collective rule. There has been a guy at the top and a final decider. Well, because that goes back to Deng Xiaoping. And he said that this was a terrible idea to have one person. It It was too close to the imperial past of China. They never wanted, at least he never wanted to see it go that way again. He had huge issues with the way Mao did things. It was clear that he realized that one-person rule was just a terrible idea. Now it seems like we've almost seen that repudiated. Well, and yeah, we have Xi making those comparisons to Mao, which he has not shied away from, and there's plenty of imagery. And just even the way the party has been building a, a sort of persona, they have rewritten the Constitution around things G has said and implemented. He's just had a say in affairs that has been edging and inching closer and closer to Mao. We see it in Russia with Putin and the rehabilitation rehabilitation of Stalin, Stalin. which they are not communist and they are not itching to return to communism, but it's also that sort of weird mix between the Russian Empire and the Tsar. I think it's an understanding that Stalin enjoyed absolute rule and Putin himself wants to have absolute rule. And even if they're not communists and even if it's not the Soviet Union, it is that idea that you have to respect the former leaders to inspire respect for the current leader. They've cultivated that in Russia and China. And I think that's why, regardless of their history, why it's been easier for Russia and China to grow closer, it's because both of their leaders want the same thing. And they see with the West mm-hmm. as the enemy, and they want to build their own power bases, and they, they want to cement their rule, and they have. And it's taken time, and it, it's been a step-by-step process. So why now? Of all the times that this could have come up, I mean, obviously the Party Congress was coming up, but why... Why is this the time that they were going to make a move like this? I mean, I think the answer there, they think we're weak enough. You know, that's a good point. I think a lot of it is probably due to the world situation right now where the United States is, not only with our own economy being potentially in the precursor to a recession, inflation's real high. 
we're very committed in Ukraine to sending a lot of weapons and money. We might not have the wherewithal to be able to do much or say much about an increasingly authoritarian China. We got our hands full, really. Yeah, we're two weeks out from the midterms. It looks like the GOP is going to probably take the House and the Senate appears to be a toss up. But we've already got statements out there from House GOP saying, why are we sending all this aid to Ukraine? And are there proper safeguards and checks? How can we keep doing this? And you've certainly got those loud voices on the right who are questioning, why are we doing this? And should we keep doing this? And so I think that momentum is going to grow all on its own. But then you've got inflation and a possible recession. And here's Xi looking at Taiwan and saying, I want that and I'm going to go soon. So I think they see us as being at a point of weakness. Also, realistically, can we send all this aid to Ukraine indefinitely? Can we keep doing it through a recession? Can we also send the aid to Taiwan at the same time we're aiding Ukraine and and there's a recession and how bad do Democrats want to lose the 2024 election? Uh, these are all things that unfortunately have to be considered and are part of the, the calculus. So yeah, I think the, the 20th Party Congress happened when it happened, but I think Xi knows that we're preoccupied and Putin has has made it that way. And if nothing else, I think the Chinese wanted Putin's war to end quickly. I think there was some sort of handshake agreement, look the other way, go ahead and take Ukraine. We, we aren't going to stop you. But it hasn't ended. And it, who knows when it's going to end. But again, things change and you adapt and you, you change your calculus. I think that's what they're doing. And there are worst case scenarios in terms of China invading Taiwan and Russia continuing its war and you know oil and natural gas prices going through the roof. And there could be a lot of pain, but what can we do about it? Right. It's just timing. It's opportunistic, but that's what people do at this level. You have to change the calculus, like you said, when you see different things happening in the opponent's sphere, you have to make different decisions about your own policy as a result. And I think we're, we're seeing more and more Chinese money and, and elites who are fleeing the country. And I think the latest place is Singapore. It's been happening for years. And I think Xi has accelerated it when he went all in on crushing the Hong Kong protest. He knew that there would be backlash. And that backlash makes his own people nervous. It makes the elites who can flee decide to flee and get out. But once you start heading down that path, there's not a lot of options and ways to come back from it. I think Xi understands the trajectory that he's on. And I think he's telling the people who who just want to sit by and Right? We just want to make money. We just want to have the status quo and, and fix the economy. And let's just worry about soft power and all this. And Xi is saying, no, we're not going to end up like the Soviet Union. We are going to exude strength and we are going to take over whatever territory we think should be ours. So he's put down a marker and, and made it clear. And the U.S. Is, seems to be uh, well aware of his intentions. And it's interesting that on Monday, the Justice Department announced prosecutions of several espionage operations that the Chinese were running in this country, one of which was a couple of PRC agents trying to get information about the bans of the telecommunications company Huawei and trying to pay for that information in Bitcoin from somebody they thought was an FBI agent. 
that turned out to be a double agent working for us. And the right was really disappointed in that. They wanted Merrick Garland's press conference to either have him be talking about Russia again and, ah, Russia hacked the election and and Dems are just making all this up. But it was about China. It was about cracking down on China and Chinese agents are trying to disrupt this ongoing investigation into Huawei, which appears to be coming to a conclusion, and that conclusion is is Huawei and ZTE, another Chinese telecommunications company, being banned in the U.S. It's overdue, but the Chinese aren't happy about it, and they were trying to disrupt that. So one day after the uh, Politburo selects their seven leaders, and Xi has consolidated his power base and put all of his protégés right there beside him, you've got the U.S., uh, and Merrick Garland and Chris Ray with the FBI making these statements and and talking about what China is doing and how it is hurting us and why they felt the need to crack down on it and push back and make these statements to make it clear that we're not just going to sit by and do nothing. So one of the one of the articles that I was reading was talking about these two different operations that had been foiled. But th- last week there was a third operation which was uh, related to. Chinese nationals, uh, presumably Chinese agents, trying to forcibly remove people from U.S. soil, Chinese exiles who are in the country, and they're going to be sent back and tried, and and maybe it's real charges, or maybe it's trumped up, and they're just enemies that Xi would like to shut up or or lock away and send them send them upstate right. to that farm. This is the Operation Fox Hunt, right? Right, right. That was started in 2014, and it was. Um, Xi's second year as president. And from what I've read, from what I've heard, it does seem like at least initially uh, Xi's crackdowns on corruption were genuine or at least mostly genuine. And he did see rampant corruption and abuse and fraud. And he did go after the people who were, I guess, most egregious and prosecuting them and putting an end to it. But I think at a certain point it became less about corruption and more about getting rid of anyone who disagreed with him, anyone who was saying things that she didn't want to be said. And and it's been part of that attempt to control the media, control the narrative, build his power base and remove any dissent, which I, I think we've just seen culminate. But yeah, I did think with with Operation Fox on it was interesting to to go back and read an article from 2015 that talked about all of this was was happening and China had been pushing the US to to cooperate and send these people back to China that that Xi wanted to put on trial. It wasn't something that the US really wanted to publicize or admit to, but it does seem like in some cases the Obama administration did send some people back. They did get deported. They did go back to China and face trials and get sentenced. And that was uh, the calculus at the time. I'm not thrilled going back and reading that and seeing that they agreed to that and they thought that was acceptable, but it happened. It's, it's over. It's done. But here we are seven years later and the same same thing is still happening. The Chinese still want these people to come back and some of the original ones and some of the people who've left in the last seven years. And instead of rubber stamping it, instead of looking the other way at it. Right, right. Yeah, you don't even necessarily have to agree with it or or put them on a boat yourself, but you just don't stop it. Just don't stop it. Right. You just, okay, well, shucks and they could do that but they didn't and instead they had this press conference it's it's hard to mistake the timing thanks for listening to the did nothing wrong podcast if you want to hear more 
you can go to didnothingwrongpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word four, and the letter M, all one word, and Grizza, B-J-J, G-R-Z-A, B-J-J, as well as D-N-W pod. Thanks again for tuning in. And remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong. <laughs>